each Sunday night I'd watch the practice with none of my friends I'd turn the dial to ABC to see the creep of the week that Bobby Donald defends But I'm out of practice With your hosts, Keith Marnie Deglio. Way back in high school, most every night, my mom watched QVC, so I missed the practice. There was no TiVo. Ding. What could I do? Ding. Wait 15 years, get fat, Ding. You know, only the Patreons can see me, so you're going to get dead face. You can see what my face really looks like when we do this. <laughs> there's no difference. <laughs> it's, it's, there's no difference. And welcome to the Out of Practice Podcast, a weekly podcast in which uh, me and my old buddy Mike, we discuss David e. Kelly's award-winning series, The Practice. This week, we are up to Season 8, Episode 8, Concealing Evidence. Uh, wow. It's... <coughs> oh, oh, my God. I, I just almost got killed by a Starburst Jelly Bean, uh, the Fave Reds flavor, which are super delicious, although I really wish I could get a Fave Reds and Grape, because Grape are my favorite. But That's I don't what it's come to, all folks. We're talking Jelly Beans. Uh, this episode brought to you by my mouth, ca- mouth, math calculations coming out of my mouth that mm-hmm, tell mm-hmm. me that we have, oh, nay, 32 hours left of the Out of Practice podcast. 32? And how, how are you making that calculation? Well, if you figure two hours at mm-hmm. about 14 episodes is 28, and then add four mm-hmm. more hours for like whatever BS we do at the end... We do you got approximately 32 hours of podcast. 32 hours. So uh, you know, I'm just thinking thinking this through for both us right, and our do. listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, That's only a day and a half many, of our life. Yeah, I don't know how many days on this planet we get. You know, none of them are guaranteed. But uh, to lose one of those precious days on this earth in our mortal coils, uh, a day and a half of uh, this oops, but uh, anyway, I'm excited to do it. It is brings makes me happy every yeah, single week. Yeah, sure. I'm sure that's true. Keith. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Mean? My wife, uh, former CEO Jen, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, came retired. Back from, came from back from the gym whenever this was this past week mm-hmm. and said to me the following words. Uh-oh. I listened to the podcast. This season sucks. Oh no! So I was, I, I assumed she meant the season of the show, the practice, and, David and Kelly's not the practice. Us. But you know what? My guess is that sometimes in the Cinderella story, Keith, both mm. glass slippers fit. Ah, uh, ah. Uh, if indeed. you know what I'm saying. I, I, I do. I do. But you know what? That's not true. We are the same level of mediocrity we always have been. Uh, we yeah. we are nothing if not consistent. You know what? Uh, yeah. And and one of the things 
that is consistent in our world is uh, a certain friend of ours in a segment of this sending some corrections. Filings and subpoenas. Filings and subpoenas. Filings and subpoenas. Filings and subpoenas. Before you begin, I want to say... I want to just, because anybody who's listened to this far into the podcast is is really invested in the inc- intricacies of our relationship, Keith. Mm-hmm. Yes. Here is my, here's how I, being John Malkovich, you this week. Here's how I recognized your organizational system in your little, in your noggin up there. Oh, I'm fascinated. So I'm OCD. I need my email box to be ah. zero email. Zero email. So mm-hmm. I have a system mm-hmm. of stars and different ways that I rem- I remember how various things mm-hmm. I need to remember. You apparently need something marked as unread in order for it to exist in your world. Because as many times as I tried to read, get this oh, email out of long, my box. Oh, we were fighting over that. <laughs> you kept Without ever talking it about it. I know. I was like, why can't he just star it or pull it into another box? Star? What is this star? I want to add a third step. <laughs> I'm going to add a third step in my process finally, with some shiny finally star. it became clear to me. I was like, oh, he's doing this so he remembers to read it. Okay. Yeah, I will 100%. If Because you go in, because like, you know, we both have access to the email, obviously, and <laughs> and we, we both sort of use it, and... Mike just like Brrr, everything's red, everything's sorted, everything's gone. So I don't, I'm not aware of anything <laughs> that comes true. in. I go it's in, true. I check it. There's nothing. There's no email. There's nothing happening right then. <laughs> okay, and then well, occasionally I accidentally notice that there's an email that I need to pay attention to, and I'm like, oh, I better mark that on whew. red, so I can. Oh, jeez. Oh, that made me laugh. Okay. There. Oh God, that was. Yeah, no. I, I, I basically, if if I need to know anything, I have to mark it unread. Mark un, unread means you have to remember this, pay attention to this. You have to address this. But I will go through anything that I don't have to address. I will mark red so I it's deleted from my brain forever. That's that's how that works. Anyway, uh, this entire time we have been arguing, I have been trying to find the uh, the correct bumper. To oh. uh, to play for you already uh, played it, man. No, no, because oh, he the has other one. An, he, so, uh, Mike, you're gonna have to do a, a, an objection on the fly for me. That, the one I that was one I created season one, and we played it like three times. Objection! There will be an appeal. Objection! Something like that. All right. So, by the way, I would just you know because we never credited it and we didn't get flagged, but there is a sample in that bumper from. Uh, Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney, the uh, the old handheld video game on the uh, the the, D- the Nintendo DS that I sampled for that. They had a legal game. Oh my God! There's a whole a legal game. There's a series of like twenty games, and it's 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 sort of like a an anime point and click adventure where you're like a lawyer and you're trying to like you're trying to screw people on the stand to like lie and stuff. It's really Pretty fascinating. It's it's a really good game. Check it out. No, oh, okay. Well, there there you have it. Anyway, uh, Phoenix is boiling because he's fired up to correct me, and I I want to give him his full due. 
So Phoenix says, in the scene, it's pointed out that Jimmy would have to file questions of previous accusations before the trial. Keith says, he fucked up. Mike asks, how? This is talking about last episode. Uh, Mike says, how could he have used it anyway? Keith says, no, he could have used it. Who was right? Well, this is the dialogue that you both had just listened to seconds before. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to in hard quotes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. DA Webb says, we first listening of all, in season five. Let's be we, honest. Uh, uh, certainly to each other. Uh, <laughs> DA Webb says, first of all, you can't prove these claims are false. And even if you could, it still falls within rape shield. False accusations by the victim are not admissible unless a four-pronged test is satisfied. One prong being that the victim is the only prosecution witness, which here she isn't. Kittleson says there's no in impeachment exclusion. Even if there were, you have a slew of problems. First, Mr. Webb states the law correctly. And second, victim's testimony has to be confused or inconsistent. It wasn't. I wouldn't say anything. I'll just let the evidence speak for itself. And then he's, uh, oh, wait, here it is. And it has a message for Keith. As I pull up the YouTube clip, my browser is up to date. Thank God. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, Microsoft. Thank you. So anyway, I can imagine the link that he sent was some sort of, uh, I think it's a clip from. It's the Scrubs. It's from Scrubs. And I think it's, it's from basically. Scrub. You were... Wrong, wrong, wrong. Wrong, 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 wrong. Yeah, except for Phoenix. I wasn't talking about uh, that part of the dialogue. I was talking about the previous sexual partners which they do specifically talk about her previous sexual history is something that can be introduced if you bring it up ahead of time. Uh, so where, and it would have gotten muddy between all of these various things. I'm sure he could have backdoored it in. Uh, and so he does get taken to task by Kittleson for not introducing that topic into discovery. So, uh, so yes and no. So I would say wrong, wrong, sort of wrong. Keith was also sort of right. I'm so stuck there. on he could have backdoored it in. Oh, boo. Well, if you would like to complain about Mike's dirty mind, how would they do that, Mike? <laughs> what? Oh, you can write us an email, outofpracticepodcast at gmail.com. Who knows if Keith will see it or if I'll mark it red. Unclear. He'll mark it red, and it's gone forever. It's deleted. <laughs> Um, why does that happen? Plus, we had another email that just disappeared from your inbox this week, Keith, which to the with the link to the show, of course. Yeah. Um, so you could write us an email there. You could also go ahead and you know follow all the work Keith does on Instagram at Out of Practice Podcast. Hey, or even better, you could help us further our podcast empire. Uh, mm. We're that hot three hundred subscribers on <laughs> YouTube, and. Uh, <laughs> You can help us continue this show as well as our other shows. We have a new Deep Space Nine episode by episode follow along show that is very much like this podcast, but about Deep Space Nine. Yeah. And you can follow find that on uh, the YouTube, just on our channel that you're already subscribed to, of course. Or you can help us pay for that show and get behind the scenes content, which is me watching the show. Uh, without yeah. Keith, because that's what people have clamored for, and that's at patreon.com slash K and M and spelled out. And, and just think about it. Just think about how much better this show would be without Keith. 
Yep. And and here here just for 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 15 bucks a month, you get Deep Space 9 and Mike and no Keith. It's amazing. Uh but you can watch the actual episode along with me without uh well, for oh, for as long as we can do that. Uh but I will say that the first episode or two will be available for all tiers uh just so that we can uh, what do they call it Keith? Wet the beak. Wet the beak. This episode is gross today. Anyway. Have you listened to any of the other episodes? All gross. <laughs> <laughs> what else we got? Well, I think it is time to uh, to hop back into the time machine. What do you say? Yeah, we have to. So we are, again, of course, talking about The Practice, Season 8, Episode 8, Concealing Evidence. And uh, we were doing this on November 23rd, the year 2003. And uh, it is time to answer, Mike, what were you doing? This day in the basement. November 23. Keith, I was turning 23 years old. Yeah. Uh, I I don't remember what I had done. I I believe we must have started rehearsals by now, right? For Titanic? No. No, no. we did not. We did not start rehearsals until December. Okay. Uh, because, uh, and, you know, spo- teaser, teaser for all of our friends here. Uh, I went into the bookshelf and I found my original script and score with our schedule, with our uh, contact list, with all of my notes. I even have a uh, an entire story that I told in doodles between the pages while I was bored. So uh, we're going to well, maybe throw that, that up will, on Instagram. That will tell you that for sure my cell phone number has not changed since I was 16. So... That oh. same cell phone number will be on that contact sheet. It should be. Uh, oh, oh put that address. up on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, so that that that's perfect, Keith, because that means that I'm in that interim between when we closed Forever Plaid, which I believe was right before my birthday, so like November 5th or 6th, I believe we closed, <clears throat> and when we started rehearsals, and I went back to New York City. In the interim of that time, I'm trying to remember who I lived with. Ah, yes, that's why it's important. Well, when I went back to New York, I'm trying to remember where I lived. I'll get there momentarily. But in this period of time, I was living with my mom in her basement. I was literally in the basement. And the two things I remember from living down in the basement, I had so much time and space and like wires running everywhere, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. It was so humid down there that I had this dehumidifier machine and I had to change it out three times a night. Right. Oh, so even in November. I had, yeah, I had to wake up to. I was in the basement. I had to wake up and like empty out this machine because it would get full. That's one thing I remember. Two, basement. So there was no windows, kind of like a casino. So if nobody, like, if I didn't set an alarm or nobody came down there, I would sleep till like three, three a, three p.m. I mean, my circadian rhythm was just jacked. So that's wow. what I was doing. I was literally just existing in the basement, plotting my return to New York City. Where the heck did I live when I moved back to New York City? I have to figure that out, and I will be, you'll be all ears for next week. But Keith, while I'm still asleep in the basement, what are you doing? Well, I, so I went back into all the emails, as I always do. Um, there's lots of interesting stuff, but uh, very little of it about me and what I was doing until I found, uh, which I think is, talk about an interesting time capsule. Uh, I got an email from my uh, my old buddy Nate, who had I think he was bored at work, and you know as as we are, he uh, he Googled me, 
and sent me all of the links of where I appeared on the internet. Now, and I, I think what's interesting about this is, is not necessarily that. It's the fact that the internet was so small that he was very impressed that I showed up six times on the internet, on the World Wide Web. And uh, you realized how early in it, it felt like it was like this big giant thing, but it was really in its infancy in 2003 still. Well, what your buddy Nate did not know is that in a mere few number of years, that service of finding out and providing all the links where a person appears on the internet would be a very, very lucrative lucrative career. To, to pay for someone to do that for you now and like also scrub you is very expensive. So Nate missed the boat. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it wasn't, uh, it really wasn't that impressive, but I, but it, I, I think what's, What's crazy about it, speaking as we're about to start rehearsals for the Titanic tour, is our tour, I don't think, had a website or much information at all. No. I remember the main stage. Can I say the name? Yeah, why not? Uh, I remember they had a website that listed some of the tours that were going out concurrently because I remember looking at it at the New York Public Library because I would go to the New York Public Library to jack into their Ethernet. Um <clears throat> <laughs> Uh, so I remember they did have a website, but it was not well advertised. But that's because we were playing in these like podunk little cities. Well, it wasn't. It wasn't main stage. It was Candlewood. It was Candlewood, yes, Candlewood International? Yeah, buddy. But they changed their name to main main stage something later on because of I guess shady financial dealings. <laughs> you mean no when they got sued for bankruptcy? Probably. I would. I, I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's I, I that tour does not. I mean that you can actually watch the whole show on YouTube, but. It doesn't oh, it exist on online. It was for a while. Well, one of us uh, put it up there. I have not, this, one like, of, no, not me. Jesus not Christ. Sure, I mean, no, not me. There's like a bootleg DVD I have somewhere that's all scratched. So I have to put toothpaste on it just to like watch little bits and bloops. But Oh, I have a copy of it. Uh, anyway. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I play it. Uh, I'm, I'm a child. It's I don't ever. I hate watching it. Oh, no, I can't watch it either. But but it's it's crazy that there is no record of that tour existing online because it didn't have an online presence then it, sur- it sure as hell doesn't now um because the uh in 2003 internet was just a little but keith it was baby. so long ago that saying you were in the titanic tour people just assume it was one of the 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 a tours so you just let it let them think it oh yeah no for <laughs> sure yes I'd, back then without... they'd be like do you mean the big league tour or the non-equity tour and you'd be like oh the non-equity tour but now it's so long ago you, that people just assume because you're old that you must have been in the original tour. I mean, I, I mean, I, based on our ages, they thought we were actually on the freaking Titanic. I uh. <laughs> want a dumb joke. That's so funny. <laughs> so well, Keith, we we do have experience on a sinking ship. <laughs> we certainly <laughs> we oh, certainly boy. do. Keith, so, uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you. If you're thinking to yourself, man, they're in a good mood for them, uh, that's because it's not Monday today, which is- It is uh, not Monday. Yeah, no, no. And, you know, we're we're only running about an hour and 20 minutes late. So uh, now <laughs> let, let's zoom out into the world. It's time for the Out of Practice Podcasts This Day in the World. The greatest hits, the biggest movies, headlines from Vermont, essential sports updates, and for some inexplicable reason, the weather from 20 years ago. Now back to Keith and Mike. 
Okay, so of course we are talking about November 23rd, the year 2003, and uh, the local paper talks about Iraq exit strategy in doubt. Uh, I would I would doubt it because uh, that article was written in 2003. We didn't leave until 2011. So uh, there we go. The top song continued to be Baby Boy, Beyonce featuring Sean Paul. And uh, of course, we were watching Cat in the Hat oh, in yeah. the movies. This holiday season. What was that? Universal Pictures, DreamWorks Pictures, and Imagine That was uh, one of Jim Carrey's finest, as uh, we potentially say goodbye to Jim Carrey as he's considering his retirement. It's been in the news. I'd like to thank uh, the Medieval Bardcore channel for their awesome covers, as they always do. You can check them out at Beetle the Bardcore on YouTube. And, of course, thanks to Movie Trailer World, as always, for their movie trailers. And uh, while we're thanking folks, I would just I like to point out that our voiceover for this uh, for this show, or for this the trivia of the day, is of course my brother-in-law Eric it's William Morris, who just released his debut album. Eric William Morris, do you understand? And it's fantastic. So check it out anywhere you get CDs. That's Eric William Morris. Do you understand? He definitely needs your support. He's very unattractive and untalented and needs yeah. all the help he can get. Oh, yeah, definitely needs the oopsie bump. But uh, anyway, he wrote the whole album himself as well. Oh, that's cool. Dude is awesome. Anyway, so uh, there you go. I wonder if we'll get a YouTube strike about that. We probably will. I uh, hope to God we do that your brother-in-law strikes us. I... <laughs> He's going to come here and slap me. All right. Well, you know, it's time for everybody's favorite segment. It's time. It's time. It's time, it's time for sports. Ball. The New York football giants lost to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 19-13 at Raymond James Stadium, dropping to 4-7. Thomas Jones and Charles Lee scored for Brad the Brad Johnson-led Buccaneers. The Giants are bad. Meanwhile, the Eagles are good. They improved their record to 8-3 with a 33-20 win over the Saints. There it is. And, and let me just point out, Eric's album is really freaking good. So check it out. I know you text me about it separately just to let me know. I did. I, I'm so envious. And Keith lives uh, his life t trying to avoid texting me. I, I really do. I throw my phone in the river like three times a week. <laughs> All right. You know what it's time for. I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. And I'm not going to take this anymore. It's time to talk about the damn episode. All right, we're talking about the practice season eight, episode eight, Concealing Evidence. And it was written by the trifecta of David E. Kelly, Jonathan Shapiro, and Lucas Reiter, and directed by a new director. Uh, a pretty uh pretty fancy director. He has eight Emmy nominations. Bill Delelia, uh, Bill Delia, uh, you would know so from fancy, Northern- So fancy, Keith can't even say his name. I can't say names. I barely can read. Jelly Bean. Jelly Bean. He, uh, directed on Northern Exposure, Chicago Hope, West Wing. He did, uh, 17 episodes of Boston Legal, also How to Get Away with Murder and Grey's Anatomy, 
which leaves us with only one important question. What is that supposed to mean? What's your problem? Is this what happens to women when you insert your penis? What? What? What What does Mike think's gonna happen? You know, what if he would have drank the curdled milk? Then what would have happened? Well, the world may never know, Jimmy. But speaking of Jimmy, I've been thinking, Keith, you know what we've been lacking a little bit this season is just a complete obliteration of a character like we did to Lindsay those last two seasons. And I thought, mm. maybe it's time we start destroying a character we've come to love. We started last week when Jimmy just, like, basically dropped the ball a bunch of times. And uh -huh. I thought, maybe that's indicative of the fact that it's going to be Jimmy that we're going to kind of blow up. And what better way than to have Jimmy retread an old storyline we thought long forgotten but maybe creeps back up this week is jimmy a degenerate gambler again Ooh. is jimmy doing so many crazy things to pay for his degenerate gambling now that his girlfriend has left for the show that he's concealing evidence in a high profile case and jimmy the grunt becomes Ooh. an anti-hero but without the hero a heel turn for jimmy that's Ooh. Mike's prediction for the next arc in the great season eight. <laughs> I think we might have a heel turn for Mike at this point. <laughs> well, you know something, brother. <laughs> uh, that, oh. I hurt my voice very badly doing that, Hulk Hogan. Uh, Hogan slash Savage, and uh, I'd like to stop now. Yes, well, his, you're havaging your voice. <laughs> Don't, oh. ladies and gentlemen, the, this week's oopsie for worst joke slash pun goes to Keith Varney for you havaged that voice, or what you savaged yeah. your voice? No, Hogan savaged, no, havaged, you havaged well, your I voice. Well, I guess it's time to watch the episode. Uh, <laughs> do you have to? Do you have to pee, Keith? No, I think I think we can. I can push through. All right, or 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 pinch it off. Anyway, I shouldn't have said that. Is is that a better joke? No. The nominations are still open, right? Yeah, I guess we got a while to go. Um, anyway, folks, uh, I guess it's time to watch the, the show. This is why we do a podcast. So, season eight, episode eight. Ooh, the Ocho, Concealing Evidence. Nothing? They just pulled the offer. Completely. On the eve of trial? Karen, it seems I've been duped. Holy car chase! Wow, wow. The defendant's lawyer is. That is a very serious car chase for the practice. I now think he led me to believe they'd settle only to string me along. Ooh, cut back to the horse, too. Going for it. He's running out of a we car and into a building. This lawyer, it's a setback, no doubt. But tomorrow, we are ready to proceed with this trial. I need a lawyer. Oh, hold on a second. Wait, I need Bobby. Sir, Wait, Bobby. What's going on? It I need seems that he needs right. Bobby. I could no. be mistaken. Keith, is that the first time we've evoked Bobby's name? Uh, 
I think we might have mentioned it once before, but only in passing. But I do like the fact that we like remember that Dylan McDermott used to be on the show. Yeah, and, and, uh, and, and a degenerate needs his help. And while we're talking, let's introduce the two people we've met so far. Well, one of them remembers Bobby, and the other one is that lady. Bobby used to make a make a make a him happy. Indeed. All right. So the woman we met, who uh, Alan apparently has been duped for, the client is Lisa Sheridan. Uh, playing Karen Evanson from Journeyman Invasion Step by Step and CSI Miami. And the uh, the guy jumping out of the car after the car chase looking for Bobby is played by Michael Sean Teague, uh, who you would know from The Shield, Lakeview, Paris, and Pirates of the Caribbean. You know, one of the, the tropes that I actually do enjoy about this whole series is that usually in most shows, nay, real life, Criminals generally, once they cri- once they crime it up, like to mm-hmm. like go into hiding, you know, if they're trying to uh, avoid capture. Not mm-hmm. criminals on this show. They make a beeline directly from the crime to their lawyer's office because they're very proactive, and I, I sort of appreciate that. Which you know, to be smart is probably it is probably the smart way to go, especially if you're being actively chased. So what have we learned in eight seasons? If you crime, and we do not suggest you crime, if no, you crime, do not crime, two things, shut the F up and right. go directly to your lawyer's office. Go straight to Bobby Donald. Go into any lawyer firm, ask for and Bobby Donald. And just ask for Bobby. <laughs> right. Okay, that button didn't work. Okay, and button. No. Sir, no. Sir come here. No. Eleanor, can you take Karen into your office, please? There's, there's not much time. There's not much time. All right. He was on Step by Step. Take it. She was. Take it. Oh, okay. Oh, he's got a knife. That's very kind, but I already have a knife. <laughs> please, don't be here any seconds. I need you. Please, freeze! Get down now! And the police? You get they, down. Like, might, they what must the hell have a station this? right Where there. Where is he? What is well, they were chasing him. Do you remember the car chase? Did anybody just come in here? Yes, Six people, in fact, chase. dressed in blue. We're looking for a man, mid-30s, jeans, blue jacket. He entered this building. Is he a criminal? He's a homicide suspect. Homicide? My God, do you know what you've done? We represent murderers here. It's quite possible the man you speak of came into this building to hire us. With the six of you, guns out, I will never come in. You may very well have cost us business, officer. Bad policeman. Very bad. Zing. Good one. (laughs) All right. Yeah. So I... I actually feel great about this tease. Cause, I mean, we have we've had criminals barging into the office on multiple occasions thus far, but this this was fun. The car chase is exciting. The knife is exciting. The uh, I like starting out with. Um, in the other case, we don't really know what's happening at all, but we do know that Alan is screwed up. So all of this seems interesting to me so far. Keith, do you enjoy that on the YouTube, uh, well, not the YouTube, on the video version for our, our patrons, I give you the episode off? I just, I don't make you be on camera? Do you this give it to me, or did I demand have. not to be on it's camera? It's a miracle the police didn't insist on searching the place, in which case... No one's hiding under the table. <laughs> I appreciate that, but trainees at the academy are now advised to look under tables. It's been a giant leap for law enforcement. Look, I'm just asking if you'd hold the knife. And as I've explained, I'm not permitted to do that. This would be considered evidence. Please, 
It's evil that makes me do things. Mr. Grayson, if we were to assume possession of this weapon and you were to be charged with a crime, we would have an obligation, a legal obligation, to turn it over to the police. Look, I'm telling you, it's evil. Makes me do things. You know what, why don't you let me turn the evil knife over to the police so that they might incarcerate it? No, they'll trace it to me. I'm not going to jail. I want it in a place where the police can't get it. Where I can't get it. Would you excuse me for a minute? Are you gonna call the police? No. No, man. I just wanna discuss this matter with my colleagues. I'll be this right definitely back. has a Stanley Deeksy-ish vibe to it. Mm -hmm. Did he kill somebody? No, there's blood on it. I don't think he used it to puncture a tire. Why doesn't he just throw it in a dumpster? That might make sense, Eleanor, but I can't counsel him to do that. Unless you'd like me to. Why a, no. a dumpster? We can't what a advise the destruction of evidence. Well, we can't keep it, Eugene. If he leaves with it, he might kill again. I it's evil. do not endorse throwing anything in the ocean, but... Excuse me. Concealing a murder weapon, that'd be the way to Thank go. you for your help. I'm gonna look for another lawyer. Well, seems we dodged a bullet. Yes. Seems so. So our suspect left. What are you doing? Getting back to work. Obviously looking for the knife that the suspect stashed in the office. We have a trial in the morning. Did we see him stash it? You'll testify first. No, we did first, not. And then we'll be calling our doctors. Okay. Just speak from your heart, Karen. Emotion is the strongest part of our case. We don't really have a case, do we? Some would yes, say all the we need only is... part of our case. And all we need is more emotional uh, counselor. Karen's. The head Excuse of its me, time, please. please. Head of its time. Mm -hmm. I apologize for my client pulling the offer last minute like that. Uh... We really didn't see it coming. Right. I know that 300,000, no admission liability, sealed, we're done. Guys, that very unique looking lawyer is played by Ron Liebman as Robert Colby. He is an Emmy winner for Kaz in 1979. He is a Golden Globe nominee for Christmas Eve and a Razzie nominee for Rhinestone. We can get a drink. Patch up our differences. I can't go 300, but how about zero? Does zero work for you? Zing. He's been arrested. Who? Ted Grayson, Mr. Knife Man. Victim was a CPA stabbed in an alley. Witnesses evidently saw Teddy and reported his license plate. So they've got him in custody? Yes, and he called asking for you. Seems that he didn't find other representation. Did they recover the knife? No, no sign of the knife. Okay, you might have to cover the arraignment. I'm in trial here. But I'm not licensed. It's just an arraignment. 
Also, find out everything did this and everything you can mm -hmm. about Mr. Grayson. Alan. I'm coming. I'll see you at the arraignment. My husband was very depressed about his job. He hated the insurance business to begin with, and when his performance declined, he just went into a tailspin. Step by Did he get step treatment? Yes, he saw a doctor day. who prescribed Laritol and antidepressant. <clears throat> Did that help? No. Almost immediately after taking it, he became more agitated, volatile. A about a week after he was on it, he struck me. He struck you? Yes. Which was so not him. Paul was. Why was that never extra showed smiling any signs so of being hostile? Certainly not She's violent. Like, yeah, she got, she got hit. What happened then? He started getting into altercations at work. It's a good day to be an extra. And, and you never know fired. what clip they're going to use or going to intercut into started, her That's when he said he wanted to kill his boss. It wasn't at the same time. Did you think about calling the police? No. Because as I said, I couldn't even fathom that he would. Later that night, he... Nobody calls the police, Keith. He turned the gun on himself. Oof. And you blame the drug Laritol. It yes. transformed him from a, a kind, docile man into a volatile, violent person immediately after he started taking it. I know it was the drug. Your husband was very depressed over work. Little fan. Yes. Depressed before taking the Laritol? Yes, but he... Thank you. Did he ever hurt anybody after taking the drug Laritol? He, he struck me once. He struck you? With his fist? Open Laritol hand? Laritol Flynn Boyle? Open hand? Were you injured? Physically, no, but my children... Thank were... you. Did he tell you that he uh... purchased a gun to shoot his employer? No. He said he bought it for personal protection, but Which this... Which you had encouraged. Am I right? There had been a rash of break-ins in your neighborhood? Yes. But he was talking about committing murder. That isn't personal protection. Just so that we're clear, he bought the gun for personal protection. Then he became very depressed, then he turned the gun on himself. He turned the gun on himself after consuming your client's product. Your husband's life insurance doesn't cover suicide, does it, Ms. Evanson? With inexplicable tragedies, people often find the need to assess blame. Sometimes they have the need to find money. Objection. Withdrawn. Tell me, Ms. Evanson, why didn't you just sue the doctor who prescribed the medication? Pockets not deep enough? Objection. Sustained. Nothing further. Or the doctor is has less knowledge and less responsibility for the side effects of the drug. If the drug company doesn't say, how is the doctor to know? I didn't do it. I promise you. Can you tell me why you were spotted in the area? I, I was there, but it wasn't me. Who was it then? It was, it was the knife. The knife? I don't deny that it was in my hand, but I swear... All I meant to do was to threaten him, to get money. This knife is evil. It's done this before. The knife has killed before. It's tried, yeah. Which is the reason I can't have it in my hand. You know where it is, don't you? If I were to know where it is, Mr. Grayson, 
I would be duty-bound to tell. Let's not have me know. Are we clear? Listen, you talk to nobody other than my assistant, Tara Wilson, and me. This is important. Okay. Two robberies and he one looks like Phil Dunphy, doesn't he? On each occasion, he claims to have heard A voices. Little bit. He's been fired from every job he's ever had. What's his diagnosis? He's never been treated. I beg your pardon? For his prior crimes, they just threw him into prison. I talked to his mother. She says that he's been crazy since he was three. Apparently, she mm. couldn't afford a doctor. But that's a little unclear because she Tara, seems fairly unstable herself. Are you telling me this man has never been treated? Ever. But I do like bringing up the how I don't prescribe Laritol anymore. Ineffectively, we Paul treat Evanson. mental yes, illness in our after judicial suicide, system. I began to dig around and uncovered anecdotal evidence of patients hey. becoming violent. Yes, Doctor, indeed. It's Tony Amendola back. Dara doll, baby. Dara doll. Yes. So this is Tony Amendola, who we have seen many times before. This is his third character on the practice, but we've seen him play this character before. So four appearances, three characters for Tony. A. What did you observe? He definitely became more agitated, erratic. I didn't suspect the drug until it was too late. In your patient notes, you never described Mr. Evanson as becoming more violent. I believe I noted the agitation as well. Did as... you ever observe any acts of violence? No. As a matter of fact, you attributed his increased agitation to his depression, his despondency over his job. Did you not, doctor? I changed my position on that after uncovering the anecdotal evidence. Anecdotal evidence. How many instances did you uncover where Laritol caused the patient to become more violent? 33. 33. And in those 33 cases, how many stated to a medical conclusion that Laritol was the cause of the violence? None were medical conclusions because... Thank you, Doc. Wait, I would like to finish. Go ahead. In all of those cases... I'd like to ask the there question... There were other variables. This... This doctor is saying he had 33 of his own cases experiencing extra violence on Laritol. I mean, how many, A, how many clients does he have? Second of all, how many clients does he have on this medication to have 33 of them exhibit violence? I, I, maybe I missed that he was a supervising physician or something because like, what the what? Do you know what I missed, Keith? And I've been embarrassed to ask, but now I'm going to ask. Hmm. Did they state early on what Laritol is used for, like to treat? I believe it, it's treating depression. Okay. ...which prevented a conclusive finding. But Laritol was the common denominator. And in each case, it was cited as the likely cause. How many times, in your best estimate, has Laritol been prescribed? Thousands. Perhaps hundreds of thousands? Yes. And with these hundreds of thousands of usages, you were able to find 33, none of oh, which I see. conclusively found a nexus between Laritol and violence. Is that correct, doctor? Correct. How many studies are you aware of, doctor, that conclude the 
drug is unsafe? None, but... How many studies are you aware of that conclude the drug is safe? Many. Most funded by the manufacturer, your client. To be fair... Do you have evidence to suggest... 33 in over 100,000 is a very infinitesimal... It is. No. Statistically almost irrelevant. The problem is we have no scientific evidence. Even if we could prove the drug was unsafe, proving it's unreasonably unsafe, given the good it's done many people. What about the negligence theory? The problem there is there's nothing to show they could foresee any danger. We barely survived summary judgment. What are you asking me to do here? It's not like I have an offer to accept. What am I supposed to do? Nothing. I guess... We're just bracing you. You said you'd Fair. get something. I thought we would. I have no money. It's like he said. Insurance doesn't cover suicide. I have three children to raise. I have three kids. We waive reading, Your Honor, and request a probable cause hearing. We'd also ask for a reasonable bail. Excuse me, Miss Wilson, but I'm informed you're not a member of the bar. I'm only here it's to enter Mitchell plea back. and to file Alan Shaw's appearance. No need, Your Honor. I'm here. What I miss, Mr. Shaw, who apparently this is a knocked his uh, nameplate out. Do? Actually, I was searching for the real killer, Your Honor, with O.J. Probable cause hearing is scheduled for tomorrow, ten o'clock. Your Honor, before we adjourn, we have a subpoena for Mr. Shaw. Mr. Grayson was pursued by the police into Mr. Shaw's building Tuesday night. Mr. Shaw denied to the police that the suspect entered his office. Today, by the most stunning of coincidences, we find Mr. Shaw representing the defendant. Your Honor, I have no obligation to tell the police anything about a client, so... We believe Mr. Shaw may have information as to the whereabouts of the murder weapon. Mr. Grayson was overheard talking in jail about an evil knife that was in his lawyer's office. Overheard? Where was that? Standing around the water cooler? Chambers. Chambers, but before... I know that lawyer from somewhere! Okay, so the DA here is played by Christopher Shea as ADA Martin Beckham, who uh, all of us Star Trek fans would know him as Keevan on Deep Space Nine, uh, playing a Vorta. Uh, Mike doesn't know what any of that means, but he's going to. And this is, he plays a memorable one. He also played an Andorian captain in Ceasefire and Sejan and detained on Star Trek Enterprise. <laughs> Unnecessary Star Trek reference. The line must be drawn here. This far, no, no further. Uh, it's no surprise to anyone, though, that Alan Shore is Keevan that knife for himself. Talking dead. On the razor's edge of comedy. Do you have the murder weapon, counsel? We don't admit there was a murder, Your Honor. And if there was, we don't admit that it was accomplished with a knife. And if it was, we don't admit the knife exists. And if it does, we don't admit that we have it. You don't have the right to I conceal love that. evidence. So I have the duty not to incriminate my client. We're asking for evidence, not testimony. The case law says a defendant cannot be forced by subpoena to turn over a weapon. But we can force the lawyer. Do you have the knife, Mr. Shaw? Frisk me. 
is the knife in your office? I don't know. You don't know. If there is a knife, Your Honor, and I'm not saying there is, I have no actual or constructive knowledge as to its whereabouts. See, this version of Shore, I actually like. Do you? Yes. Like, he's he's sort of snarky and quippy and funny, but he's also, like, doing good lawyery. Yes, like, say lawyer word soup. Like, I hate lawyer word soup. I think it sucks, but it's a tool to be wielded. And if you have the knowledge, very much like Sharon Stone's character could have been had they not, like, put piled on top of it all the stuff they did. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like uh, this is... Well, and also, like, the the logic that he is articulating there is sound. It makes sense. I mean, it's very, it's, it's very smart as well as quippy. And, uh, yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd want to punch I him if I were the judge, but I really find it entertaining. It may be in the conference room. So I would encourage us all not to go in there, because if we have actual knowledge that it's in our possession, we, of course, would have a duty to turn it over so what you're going wink wink and pretending you don't know i don't know jimmy not for a fact and you're purposely not looking for it exactly ignorance is not only bliss it happens to be constitutional oh. mike hello thanks for coming uh, would you excuse me please right this way mike Mike is played by David S. Young. I do not approve of this person. Could you do We're me a favor you, and call me Michael in front of other people? I'm trying to come off, you know, more respectful. Respectable, certainly. Well, what can I do for you? I'd like to avail myself of your silent deploy program. Is this for uh, something illegal? Michael, how could you ask me such a thing? <laughs> uh, yeah. You got the email address? I have several. How illegal is it? What we're planning to do here, Michael? Very illegal. You know me. Not, okay, not really that's... an answer. Just stall them for as long as you can. Stall them. But he didn't like that you were late the last time. I'll be there. What's going on? Eleanor, I have marvelous news. They're suddenly offering he to call her Eleanor. Not yet, but they will. Mr. Colby is he in the office as we speak. Not Eleanor. Off you go, Tara. I'll be there shortly. He's in my office? I think he'll be very pleased. Let's go. Erlener. Yo, this guy's awesome. This is a waste way, of my attorney. time. I assure you it isn't. Yes. I'm doing you a favor, Mr. Ron Colby. Lieben. You'll perhaps want to buy me that drink after all. I'm not a morning person. Yes. <laughs> I was going through the voluminous discovery late last night, and I found this included among the multitude of various medical studies. It's quite helpful. Though, not to you. What is this? It's a letter, addressed to you, in fact, from your client concerning Laritol, acknowledging a small percentage of violent ideations and suicidal tendencies. Uh-oh. Tick, tick, boom. How did you get this? I just told you. This is from general counsel to me. It's work product. We never turn this over. You must have. I have it. I asked you a question before. 
How did you get this? Oh, we'll get Your all the answers. Acknowledge a violent, possibly crime. suicidal nexus between the drugs. This is privileged. Gee, if you're right, it would be malpractice then for you to give it to me. Ouch. And your reputation has been so spotless to now. Two million dollars, Robert. You don't want yeah. the jury to hear that your people knew about the inherent dangers. Think of the punitives, Robert. This is inadmissible. I'm bringing a motion in limine to quash it. And I will not be blackmailed. Mm. Strategic mistake. Shore's got no Fs to give, Keith, as we've... He profoundly does not. Alan, where'd you also, get that document? Erlerner doesn't have a computer. I'm late for a probable cause hearing on Mr. Knife. I'd love it if you could start she to Jackson prepare at the our NYPL response to Mr. Colby's motion. Could you help me on that? Which is a hell of a commute. Mm. I saw him running. The defendant? Yes. He jumped into his car and he Serena just sped Spencer? off. Are you absolutely sure that this is the man you saw running? Yes. Did you see him run out of the alley or simply on the street? Just on the street. And when the police pulled up seconds later, you said, that's him in that car? Yes. And they took off after him. And when you said, that's him, why did you think the police wanted him? Well, because he was running away. So when the police screeched up, I put two and two together. Ah, two and two. We entered his apartment. He immediately tried to flee. He shouted, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. We apprehended him. We noticed a bruise on his face. We also found $700 in cash on his kitchen table. A bruise and money, is that all? That and a prior record for armed robberies. I see. Officer, did that you see them banging you're making the on arrest the counter? Prior record? Yes. It wasn't me. Your Honor, at this time, I ask that you dismiss the charges with prejudice and an apology. Banging on that You bad. can step down, no. officer. Do you have anything else? Your Honor, the suspect's prior record can factor into reasonable suspicion. Perhaps to search him. He was spotted running from the scene. He then ran from the police. The prosecution has no case. Running down a street is not evidence of a murder. You don't even have enough to call him a person of interest. I could be wrong on that. All right, look. There are several issues in play here. I'm going to take this under advisement. Will we Somebody convene at three o'clock? What does that mean? It means he's going to think about it. In the meantime, you do not speak to anybody. Okay, it's just that sometimes it helps for me to talk. You cannot do that. Ted, if I succeed in keeping you out of prison, I need you to promise me you'll go to a hospital. A mental hospital? We need to make you safe <sighs> from the voices. From the knife. I don't know how he got it, but clearly it's privileged. It's not discoverable. And for it to be admitted... You disclosed it? He's saying we did. It's my suspicion, however. How did you get the letter, Mr. Shore? Discovery. Your Honor, even if you were to find this correspondence to be work product, the opinion has to be based on some study. Why wasn't that study turned over to us? It's a good question. Let's introduce... Did you ask General Counsel? This 
very familiar looking judge is played by Amy Aquino, who won a SAG award for David E. Kelly's Picket Fences. Also was in Working Girl, The Lazarus Effect, Bosch, ER, and Felicity. No. But I got Felicity hair. Because what you don't know helps you. This is a letter written from lawyer to lawyer, black and white, work product. I am more troubled by your client concealing evidence. I don't know what you do and don't have, Mr. Colby, but the letter is admitted. Dang. Alan. Now my skin of his teeth, that one. Chat. What's going on? Opposing counsel is meeting with a defendant. We're expecting an offer at 2 o'clock. Really? That's fantastic. Yes, it is. Alan, can I talk to you for a second? Well, not in that room. It might contain evil. <sighs> My office. Where did you get that document? You don't want to know. Damn it, Alan. I've had enough of not knowing. Fair. You and I are friends, in addition to being colleagues, so I am asking you to be straight with me. Where did you get it? There's a software program called Silent Deploy. Basically, you can target somebody else's computer. All you need is their email address. I went into Mr. Colby's computer last night and hit pay dirt. You broke into somebody's computer and you stole their private correspondence? I feel ashamed. <sighs> but compared to concealing evidence that a drug is potentially lethal? Alan, <laughs> I don't even know what to do with you. Eleanor, you Agreed, are Agreed, Eleanor. I want you to be a friend to Karen Evanson here. If you insist on exalting your ethical duties as a member of the bar, I need you to excuse yourself from this case. Why? Because swiping this document is just the beginning. What are you going to do now? Is he going full Man. Walter White on us? Yeah, but he's got a whole other series of television. I mean, I guess we don't know that. I can't urge you enough not to be present for this. Oh, I will be very present. In that case, I need you to make me a promise. What? Don't speak. If I have something to say, Alan... You'll have nothing helpful to say in that Eleanor, thing. you should be smart enough to know do not go there and become part of whatever crime is happening actively. You know what's interesting, Keith? I'm sorry, can I... I know where the room the is, thank side, you. Like, generally speaking, on in these shows... You know, they, they follow up like a camera at three fourths kind of rule so that so that no actor is really ever staring directly into the camera. Mm -hmm. But because they were enclosed in that elevator, clearly when they did they, when they set up the shot, they didn't they didn't quite check the look because twice Cameron almost looks at the camera and then Spader ends the scene directly at the camera. I mean, I feel like. Alan Shore is perpetually staring down the barrel of the camera. I'm sorry, can I? I know where the room is, thank you. Practically. And that extra just eyed them up. Like. We've definitely used this boardroom before. Who are these people? Their firms. Members of my firm. Excuse them. They're part of my legal team. Excuse them. 
Pretty sure it's the same location that Lindsay went Sorry, to in go. the pilot. Thank big, you. Big tobacco. Yeah. When, for Egon. Guys, remember Lindsay? So awesome. <laughs> I presume you have a number? One, three. Sealed. No admission. All right. Very nice. But for a billion-dollar pharmaceutical company? That's as high as they'll go, 1-3. That isn't true, Mr. Colby, and we both know it. If that document becomes public, it could generate a plethora of new lawsuits. I typically loathe the word plethora, but when it can be used aggressively... Look, I'm like speaking plethora. Here, sir. Hmm. A plaintiff victory would be devastating for you. And a settlement, sealed or otherwise, would be perceived as a victory. That's your worst nightmare. What you're desperate for here is a favorable verdict. That sends the most chilling message of all to future plaintiffs, does it not? I will sell you this document for $8 million. Holy crap. That's full-on extortion, yes? Uh, yeah. I beg your pardon. It becomes yours again. I won't introduce it's it. It's like the No doubt crime. you'll get your verdict. And even more importantly, nobody gets foul wind of a very damaging admission. Am I to understand you're offering to lose this case for eight million? You're going to accept my offer, Mr. Colby, not because you're dishonest or ethically challenged like me, but because you're human. Because you know this document, should it become public, would easily cost Best Pharmaceuticals. E okay, understood. But here's where we have some, uh, I'll use the word interesting since it seems to be a highlight word for the, for the show. Interesting ethics because Keith should, she's allowing him to introduce that document. So right. they could very well win the case. Yes. And not only does that win money for your client, yes, but it introduces precedent that a class action or many more things could happen. Now, in his offer there, he wants to no admission, so that would preclude the sort of uh, the class action coming. Or maybe not preclude it, but it would it would protect them from having admitted any sort of guilt. Well, and beyond that, the knowledge that there's something wrong with this drug public. Right. But what Alan's offering is the $8 million, which I, I imagine he would offer the, the majority of that to his client or half split it, split sees, or whatever his plan is. We'll find out. But... His extortion here is that, so you'll either give me the $8 million, I'll lose the case. So basically it's all money because if they lose the case, there's no precedent set, right? There's that's, no- That's right. And nobody, it, 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 he's basically selling the drug company and this lawyer the opportunity to cover up that there's something wrong with the drug and for the lawyer to cover up what he thinks was a mistake, even though it was stolen. So it was like- which is a zero-sum game that's a little antithetical to Alan. Yes, he's shown himself to be sort of shades of gray, if you want to look at it that way, but he's generally speaking had his the best interest. He's been altruistic at, at, at his best. You know, he even paid that one lady out of his own pocket as the airline just to make give her a win. You know what I mean? This is how he can afford to be a fake airline guy and throw money around. Hmm, Interesting. Interesting. In the tens of millions, because you know, once your client, your biggest client, learns you inadvertently disclose this to me, they will leave you. The career flashing before your eyes is your own, Mr. Colby. Eight million dollars. I'll rest my case now. We all go home winners. 
and because you are an ethical man. But however, even at this early stage of the internet, Keith, a huge multi-million dollar law firm like this would have somebody on staff that could sniff out like an email web crawler. Maybe. Yeah. Depends on how good this mysterious 2003 hacker is, who apparently can hack from just an email address, which isn't even possible today. To hereafter warn doctors and consumers that studies show violent ideations as a rare but possible side effect. How about that, Mr. Colby? You get to keep your client and possibly save a life or two, all for the one-time offer of $8 million. I'd want the check today. Wait, what was that last thing he said about Where is he? exposing the fact that there was a, a possible side effect? How about that, Mr. Colby? A little you bit get further to keep back. Your client and learns you inadvertently disclose this to me, they will leave you. The career flashing before your eyes is your own, Mr. Colby. Right. $8 million. I'll rest my case now. We all go home winners. And because right, right. you are an ethical man, You'll convince your client to hereafter warn doctors and consumers uh, that's, that, that, that studies show piece. violent ideations wrinkle. as a rare but possible side effect. How about that, Mr. Colby? You get to keep your client and possibly save a life or two, all for the one-time offer of $8 million. So there's the ethical wrinkle for Alan. I, I had the check today. So I don't love it, but... If you, it is sort of like a Walter White lawyer meets Robin Hood a little bit. It, it no, it totally is. He, Which is an interesting character. Yeah, no, for, for sure. For a much more serious show, right? Than than the right. tone that they're striking this season, or that they strike in Boston Legal. You know, this is a show I'm interested in, actually. Yeah, you know, I I think you might have put your finger on why this is not landing as well as I remembered it. It is the tone because a, like you said, a, a, a Walter White Robin Hood lawyer played by Jim, by James Spader. Fuck. Yeah. I'm on board for that. But tonally it's too jokey. It's like, it's you know a very what's funny, serious Keith? thing. As we congratulate ourselves for that discovery it's almost as if somebody later on says, let's do that character, but backwards. Let's make him an ex-criminal helping the police, Robin Hooding. He's basically the blacklist. It, right, right, kind of, yeah. This is yeah. basically like a sort of reverse prototype for the blacklist character. Oh, man. License to print money. Where is he? He'll be here any second, Your Honor. He's currently in trial on another matter. Miss Wilson, I said three o'clock. He always comes in after one couplet of dialogue. Step up here, Mr. Shaw. I'm going to ask you now as an officer of the court, and you will answer me, subject to the pains and penalties of perjury. He don't you have shit. possession of the knife. I do not. Do you know where it is? I do not. Is it possibly in your office? 
Possibly. Did you look for it? I did not. Sit. What you gonna do, Ab? If a lawyer knows he's been handed a murder weapon, he's got to give it to the police. That's the law. But he doesn't have to go looking for it. I cannot order Mr. Shaw to provide privileged information leading to the knife's discovery. Without the weapon, the Commonwealth has offered nothing. The defendant was seen running in the area, period. The murder charges are dismissed without prejudice. The reckless endangerment, as well as evading the police, those charges stand. I'll grant Mr. Grayson bail on that. I do, however, hereby issue a bench warrant to search Mr. Shaw's law office immediately. If you find the knife, we can start this whole process again. Why wouldn't he have just had that hacker guy Until take the then, knife out? Case dismissed. We're adjourned. Well, you're at it, hacker guy. Okay, then. Ted, we well, while you're at it, why didn't he just lie and say that deal with the knife I himself? I under that conference table to find it. You hid the knife under the conference table? Yeah. Alan. The judge has just called us back in. Have we heard from Colby? Give me a second. They'll find it. All we can do is hope they don't, Ted. In the meantime, Tara's going to take you to a hospital. I've arranged for you to be admitted. But the police will come and get me. If they we get you committed, given this perhaps knife they case won't. To somebody Tara, there's Spader. a car in front with security. It's already in a case. Out of him. He's the old one. Tomorrow. He's working, Let's man. Go. If you know, like Eugene's also... not doing anything. Jimmy's not doing anything. Well, they're doing cases. Spader's only assigned crimes. Glad you can make crimes. a counsel. I took the liberty of bringing the jury in without you. You may proceed. I'm not doing this. You're on your own. How big of you, Eleanor? Now you're doing that? The plaintiff rests Jamie's your not even in the episode. What do you mean you rest? We presented our case in full, we rest. What's going on? Your Honor, I feel conflicted about introducing that document. Clearly, the disclosure was inadvertent, as well as privileged. If the shoe were on the other foot, if this were ever done to me by another lawyer... You have evidence that could further your client's case, likely win it. You have an obligation to use that evidence, Mr. Shore. I'm afraid it'll make me look unscrupulous and the jury will punish us. What's going on here? He's embezzling $8 million out Sprott? of pharmaceutical I disagree company. with Mr. Shore. Mm -hmm. But it's his client and ultimately his call. Without that document, this doesn't even get to a jury, counsel. I will direct a verdict for the defendant. Well, I certainly hope you don't do that. Oh, I will do that. You haven't even made a prima facie showing. You've introduced no scientific evidence. <laughs> How in God's name could you even think of resting? Your Honor, we hope for a settlement. They didn't blink. I tip my hat, but using this document, mm, I, uh, as an officer of the court, I can't bring myself to take advantage of it. If you don't introduce it. He's great. I will direct a verdict against you. And I will recommend that your client pursue a claim for malpractice. The plaintiff rests, Your Honor. 
What is Eleanor doing here? The, literally nothing. But like, how is she allowing this to happen? I, I, I don't believe this. Slip that into your purse, Karen. This whole thing is sealed. We don't want anybody to find out, especially the judge. The case is over? They wouldn't be paying us eight million to continue. They gave, gave her the whole thing. I, he gave her all I, eight I million dollars. Thank you. Just go take care of your kids. Minus the contingency, mind you. Did he say that? Well, we don't know that yet, but... Because it seems he like told he her the full cut her number. a check. Because if I'm Eugene or Eleanor... Actually, Eugene should not know about this. Eleanor, I'd be like, yo, we should at least kept a couple mil. Without... Once again, we've won so many millions of cases against the pharmaceutical companies, and yet we're still in the shabby-ass office downtown... But Eleanor wouldn't, under no circumstances, would Eleanor go along with this. She would burn the place down rather than do this. It's a crime. They could all go to prison for this. Yo, I'm Dylan McDermott somewhere being like, yo, they said my name. And yet. Where's my check? Can I uh, hug you? No, I don't hug clients. I grope them on occasion, but I never hug them. <laughs> Jokes that don't age well. Hey, hey, ow, ow. Gilbert. Cat scratching me. This is that man, Eugene. Ever since he's been here. Look at this. Jimmy, could you perhaps lay off the guy? No, I'm sick of this. So the police trashed the office. Where's the punch? Alan, can you come into my office, please? Let's all go. Where's the GD knife, Alan? What, are they gonna beat me up? Come on. <laughs> that was pretty good, too. For the last two hours, our office has been turned upside down while the police look for murder. No knife, but a few spare tires Bobby left. Myself, Jamie, <laughs> and Jimmy will. We've been unable to do our work because once again, you have caused this place to be disrupted. Last week, I was at the point of firing you. So tell me, Alan, if you were in my position running this firm, how would you deal with an employee like yourself? You're so fired. That's a tough one. On the one hand, if someone's a liability, I say, get rid of them. On the other hand, I... Uh. Here's a check for how much millions? Here's a check made out to the firm for two million uh, contingency on the case we just settled. Oh, man. It's a two million dollar mic drop. Ooh. We're done. We'll be out of your hair in five minutes. Did you find anything? No. Who hit it? Alan's face, unless he's a great actor, which he is, so. But I don't get to leave when I want. No. If you're committed, you so can't leave until they say you're better. Yeah, taking him to the hospital. What if he definitely I had a knife when he walked in. Oh, yeah. Could you excuse us for a second? I'll be at the door. Is Tara part of this? 
Oh, so what is this facility that they can afford? Okay. That's so nice. <laughs> Two things. First, we'll make a list of all the doctors that you can speak to about the evil knife and so forth. Outside of privilege, you can't talk to anyone about these things. Only the doctors. How do you explain that? Second. You will get better, Ted. You will. There's this he's been mentally great medication entire Lorenzo Pro. For God's sakes, this is the first time he's seen the inside of a hospital. Well, he won't be seeing it for long, Alan, if the police find that knife. Is that they're just going out for a beer? Got a lot of money. This one's on Alan. That was a really fun crime we did before. Can we talk about the other case now? No. You shouldn't talk about anything. Alan. Oh, she's all chummy with him. I know you. Are you trying to get disbarred? A self-destructive... All right, all right, on that note. Alan. Hey. Jimmy, hello. Can I buy you a beer? You're right. Baby steps. My mistake. Half a beer. Good night, my friend. He plays a pretty good drunk. Good pretty obvious Alan is toasted here. I mean, Eleanor is completely complicit in this. A million times, yes, absolutely. I don't get it, Eleanor. I see nothing redeeming about that man. You have to know him, Jimmy. Do you? You just have to, you know, just, commit a few crimes with him. It's really fun. You have to know him. Oh, you extorted, you embezzled a little bit of money from your last job? You don't know. You're nothing, Jimmy. You're small. Yeah, time. small potatoes. It was like, what? I can't believe I wasted a Mike. 20 grand? Mike prediction on Jimmy being a criminal. Alan will show you how to criminal. Yeah. All right, drunk Alan in the streets. Now he's... In front of a crowded movie theater. Oh, is he gonna ditch the knife? With black gloves on, on the, on not even on a, not even in an alley, on a crowded street. He dumps the knife in a dumpster. At least he's wearing an oversized trench coat to really fit the part. He's, he's dressed up as George Vogelman. Great. Okay, well, Keith, we did some crimes. We we did some crimes. Ah, oh, that was that was some fun crime time. It was nice to crime time. I appreciate you being a part of it, but I think it makes only makes sense for us to return to the scene of our crime mm. and uh, and do some and do some recaps of what just happened, Mike. Yeah, in that's a right. segment that, that's we, what we call do. Mm, two, three, four. Mike has thirty seconds to remember what just happened on the show. Segment. 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 We in crime time, baby. Alan's got a case against a drug that clearly makes people uh, do some stuff. And so he, instead of helping win, he extorts the medical company for $8 million, gives some to a client, six to a client, keeps $2 million for the firm, and gets off that crime plus another crime. He hides a murder weapon. He's just crime, 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 crime. In. And uh, there are no, remember we said this was a season of consequences? JK, none. None so far. 
None indeed. All right, Dak, can you do that again in fewer syllables by any chance? Well, I didn't write one down, Keith, but I'll do it on the fly in a little segment we call... Fuck it, let's do it live! Alan did a crime. Eleanor helped him do crime. Ha! No one seems to care. Yes! <laughs> that was your best on the fly haikupsi in history. Oh, you know what else? You know what else is a, a, a crime, Keith? Mm, what is a crime? That we're still doing this. Yeah! The Out of Practice Podcast, in unofficial, unsolicited, unfactual beep, association pop, boop, with beep, pop, Kelly beep, Productions, proudly <laughs> present... Oopsie! The Oopsie! Jen was peeing Celebrating herself. Celebrating excellence in good, and being Tom Brady. Not to mention, this is where we rate the episode and stuff. Now, here are your hosts, Keith and beep, Mike. Boop, beep, boop, beep, boop, What the hell are the oopsies? Well, well, Jackie. Jackie. Oh, you, uh, you, no, all right. You be me, I'll be you. <laughs> well, Jackie, it's a series of awards that are fake, that mean nothing, that we hand out to people who don't care and will never know about it. Beginning Starting with, with. There you go. You know, Keith, that's when I first started getting nodes. <laughs> well, okay. All right. So I will start, you know, because I'm, I'm Mike and Deglio now. So uh, so uh, I'm going to start with my most valuable lawyer. Uh, well, you know, it's hard to uh, hard to award criming. Uh, so I, but, but I, here's, here's my, but thinking. $8 million, $8 million. We'll take it. So, uh, I'm going to give it to Alan Shore for, uh, less for the crime and more for the excellent hiding of the knife and, uh, getting his client off. Um, so I'm going to give it to the other guy because I forget his name, but he was grumpy. For getting completely rolled over? Yeah, but but check it out. But he got to do his sort of, let's say, ethical crime of allowing the pharmaceutical companies to just like not even disclose this information. And all it cost him was eight misly million, and he still wins the case, doesn't have to admit any fault, and uh, probably gets paid on the back end by the pharmaceutical company. So whatever. He probably ends it up all right personally. Okay, so wins a for, wins a win, baby. For covering his ass, uh, congratulations, Robert Colby, for uh, you know losing a case for eight million as opposed to uh, two hundred thousand. <laughs> I'm sorry if I can't award being the guy in a who, crime uh, who got a murderer off uh, and basically stole eight million dollars. So I'm uh, sorry. <laughs> what sucks more is that, like, yeah, good for this lady who got her six mil, but what about all the other 35 people who were affected? It's really, really a small amount of people. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, 
Everybody is kind of screwed by this. You want to know sure what you Albert... can find? I'm sure you could find 35 people where ibuprofen makes them very angry and suicidal. Yeah, I mean that's what I'm. I'm that's what I'm blaming it on. All right, you know what else is a is a crime? Just took a turn. <laughs> Already famous because you've been on TV, getting a paycheck. First entry on your IMDb. Way to Way go! go. You're the best guest actor. You are the best guest actor. No one will ever you pay to best see this. Guest actor no on way. the episode. Um. I mean, I guess it's. I'm gonna. I'm doubling down. I'm gonna give it to Grumpy Lawyer Guy, played by Ron Liebman. He was grumpy, and he was even further. I would say his grump level. He played such a consistent grump level, even when he was mm -hmm. extorted for eight million dollars. It never got above the coffee's a little cold grump level. Yeah. Also, yeah. I mean, uh, don't 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 sleep on. Uh, I mean, compare his grump to the coffee being cold versus Avery Brooks in Deep Space Nine, episode Babel. When yep. His coffee was cold. It was a goddamn whole thing, big a feelings. spit take. Well, you know, because he's he's the commander. This Keith, you know, you can check out our watch through of Deep Space Nine starting April thirteenth, right here on YouTube. Well, yes. not right here because we're not on YouTube, but you know, no, on YouTube. Not. Yeah, because yeah, nobody's nobody's watching this on YouTube whatsoever. But you can go to YouHoot. Keith, <laughs> <laughs> you wonder why there's no growth? It's because we're very bad at this. <laughs> Actively terrible at what we've Ooh. been doing for the past three years. Go to YouHoo, click on the incorrect link, which is on our screens everywhere, to the, our old company name, which we had to change at the last second. You know, rule number one of marketing, make it so ridiculously difficult to find the actual product. Yeah. Uh, that's that's the key. It's like, it's like a, it makes it more exclusive. It's more exclusive. All right, so Grumpy Lawyer, played by... Ron Liebman uh, also you. gets my vote. Now it is time for... Us to Liebman this show. You killed your podiatrist or blew the case But you let a single tear run oh, no. down your face You're the best actor on the show First of all, dear show, quick reminder. Steve Harris is on your show. Mm -hmm. Make him do more. Um... He, he's relegated once again to just like grumpy boss today. Uh, his script basically said, be grumpy, accept check for two million, don't fire Alan. Those were his Yeah, three, like this uh, season is like, be a, a decent but grumpy boss and have like relationship drama. That said, it's been, it's been proven clear to me that what this season is, is basically uh, a, a bunch of filmed spec scripts of tryouts for what Alan Shore's character is. And once they find one, they're going to make it a series next year as Boston Public, uh, Boston Legal, um, because this is another Alan Shore. He's, they've like, they've, you know, a little pinch more of this, uh, a dash more crime, uh, just the same sousant of sexual, uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? 
Uh, we're we're trying to make the spader souffle rise. Yeah. Uh, but that said, it feels to me like Spader really liked this version. He really was sinking his teeth into it. Mm. And even in a sh- like one of the worst scenes where he's disposing of the knife, he's given me some subtext. He's given me some, I don't know how I feel about this, but I do. Like he's able to so casually commit these crimes or casually be this mm. uh, ethically OJ amb- ambiguous, yeah, which he, he referenced earlier, which is weird. Uh, but he also, he's very altruistic with it. He gives the majority of that to the client. He also tries to use the legalese to keep him, and more importantly, keep those close to him, Eleanor specifically, out of the boiling water. He's very, he's very much, I'll, I'll ride this train alone. And his motivations, where, where he's trying to get to is always very clear. But his motivations as to why he is that way have yet to really be explored. Yet, like we've said before with Spader, it always seems like he knows, right? He does that method work for himself. So whilst we'll dissect a little bit what we think about super crime Spader, he acts the shit out of it. And I actually really enjoy his commitment to the episode specifically this week. And I want to make sure, of course, he gets the oopsie. Uh, but I also think he he turns a really kind of what could be considered a sort of radical plot. I mean, it's not, I mean, when you compare it to like leave a dead baby on the church and oh, both Lindsay and Bobby do murders, I guess it's not as crazy. It just feels that way because it's so illegal, the stuff he's doing, but it made it one of the better episodes for me. So we'll, uh, we'll get to that. But in the meantime, uh, once again, Spader. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. It, I mean, obviously it's Spader's episode in, Practically nobody else is in it. He's the lead on both cases, uh, but it, you know he does yeah, a very. Like you compelling said, for somebody they're so uh, fed up with, they sure do assign a lot of cases his way. Actually, they don't. He just takes them. He just takes them. I, I mean, he's. I, I just finished watching the Anna Delvey thing on Netflix. He just like sort of walks in and just takes whatever he wants. That's like he he is basically Anna Delvey of this show. That is basically what's happening with a more All convincing right, well, accent. Speaking of the Anna Delvey of the NFL, it's time for... The Tom Brady Award for being Tom Brady. Um, Where are you hiding that knife, Tom Brady? Question mark. Okay, the where are you hiding... Hiding that knife... Tom Brady wins the Tom Brady Award for being Tom Brady. And now it is time. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time to announce how many spare tires this episode gets. Where's the line? I think that's a that's that's a question that I think early on the practice as a, a show has been trying to sort of ask and maybe position itself to not answer specifically, but draw uh, some maybe some moral lessons in search of that line to varying degrees of success over the seasons. This time, this character, 
I think they've they flirted with him being sort of loosey goosey with the law. But now, and I hope it sticks. They've found a comp. They're like, you know what? Let's double down. They double downed. He is just blatantly now. I wish someone would come out and just like call it what it is. He's blatantly just like going full. I don't even know the word I'm looking for because Eleanor, his closest friend, all she says is you're being self-destructive. Well, it's more than self-destructive. It's sort of just destructive. Uh, and the and and what's interesting is that the consequences aren't just in. You see, early kind of versions of this Alan Shore character, the consequences basically falled on him. He could be get disbarred or he could get fired, right? Fired, disbarred, whatever. But now right. he's taking these bigger chances and there's there are repercussions that could could shut the office down. It could cost them all their jobs. It could he could have lost money for his client. All kinds of things could be going down. And this is like a pattern of stuff that I'm interested because it we were so flippant with it, comedically flippant with it in all the preceding episodes. But now it seems like we're building true stakes. We're building sort of a serious, he knows he's on that razor's edge as you brought up before, which I find very compelling. My hope is that they continue to explore this. My fear is that they're not going to do that, um, that it's going to be inconsistent as they've proven is sort of a, is one of their uh, Achilles heels as is just writing consistent television for 23 seasons on network television. I, I get it. But yeah. in the vacuum of this one episode, I think it's the most interesting and the most compelling version of Alan Shore because it's not just him doing crimes. It's him being very smart about it. Almost Joey Herrick's smartness, like 5D chess, but doing it for the good, uh, you know, uh, helping his client and helping uh, the the guy with the knife who clearly did some bad stuff, but he was clearly sick. And so it's very interesting. Uh, I think you probably have been able to, maybe we'll be able to conceptualize what it's trying to say a little bit better. Uh, but as a television experience, I thought it's very great. And what I like, and some people don't, I like when the person who's walking the fine line seems like he's three steps ahead. So while you recognize the stakes, you're never you're never truly worried that they're gonna fall off the cliff. I like that about Alan Shore. Now, some people per, uh, prefer to be a little bit more, ooh, it could go either way, a little more suspense-driven. I don't feel, I'm not one of those people, but I could see where they would feel like he's a little too smart, but that it works for me. What I'm getting at is I think, Keith, this is my favorite episode of the season thus far. I think a pretty solid, I think both cases asked some pretty cool questions. My, my nitpick would be that, unfortunately, the series is much more interested in what's happening with the lawyers now than it is about the cases, which is what we used to really enjoy about the series, but it's a different series now as we've just come to recognize. But this version, I like it. Uh, I want to see more from Eleanor. She's not this isn't Eleanor is not this passive never has been it surprises me so maybe give me a little bit more about their history to explain why she's being this way it's like reminds me of when we remember we flew to LA to help this guy that like somebody had coffee with once right right it reminds me of that where we were like why is she so but 
I want to give them the opportunity to explain that it is a series rather than just an episode. I liked it. I'm going to give it high marks for this season, which we've decided is a little different than the other seasons. Stands apart. I'm going to give it an eight point six three spare tires, and they were just discovered in Bobby's office as they searched for the for the knife. Yeah, no, I, I I actually agree with you on on all of that. Um, you know, you started out talking about uh, Alan Shore walking the line, and I think clearly in this episode he crossed the line, then stomped on the line, then like pooped on the line. Like I I think he clearly uh, a a a bridge was crossed here that we had not done yet. Um, which you know I agree with you. I found it compelling. I found it interesting. It's it is going to be very frustrating if there are no consequences um as a result of this because uh you know he he is a little trumpian in his like I'm just going to actively brazenly commit crimes and just like trust because of my like white male energy I can just get away with it. Uh the difference with Alan of course is that he's very smart and very like got a shit together, but it's uh it's it's really it's very compelling. I like this character. I like um I loved his how he handled the knife case because that's exactly how Bobby would have handled it too, just without all the smarm. Um mm-hmm. that was just like flat out good lawyering, right? That was excellent lawyering from top to bottom. You know, the other thing I have so many more questions out of this you know, out of extorting the uh, the drug company because, uh, first off, Eleanor now is a hundred percent complicit in this. She committed that crime as much as he did. You know, she has a duty as an officer of the court to report this. She has a duty to uh, inter intervene. Like she, you know, it's it. I I think in the in the crime sense, it's like if you. Or driving the getaway car for somebody robbing a bodega and somebody gets shot. The guy in the getaway car is every bit as complicit for murder as the person who pulled the trigger. Mm -hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. in this case, Eleanor sat there and witnessed a crime being done and didn't do anything, didn't report it. And and so therefore she's complicit. So I, I, while I really like this storyline and this character, this has done some damage to Eleanor and Eleanor's credibility. Um, and I'm not a I'm not a fan of that. I'm a fan of of going this way with Alan. If we're gonna if we're gonna do this, let's do this, right? That's fascinating. But uh, but the position that well, it's not the position that he put Eleanor in. It's Eleanor's reaction to being put in that right. position that doesn't feel right. Um, you know. And the other question that I have coming out of all of this is. Uh, as it's you know it's it's tax season. I, I got to get them taxes done this week. Oof, I just How did it hell- yesterday. How the hell are they going to explain the $8 million? Right? How do you pay taxes on it? Where do you say it came from? Right? Because the, you know, it's it's like... Yeah, right. Like, didn't Jamie get... They were all sus with Jamie because she paid out that $10,000 to that girl. Right. And they were like, oh, and, this is... How are we going to square this with uh, well, finance? And, only, and that was only with the, within the firm, let alone with the IRS. $8 million. You, you can't just, like walk in with eight million dollars i mean do they have to launder that money is that because that was money in the commission of a crime did the did they make a deal with the law firm to come up with some shady explanation for it but like they're i i I think that 
they made they nerfed that crime right like i think when you really look yeah. at the whole picture of that that is much more difficult than it came up I, I i don't know how you explain all of that um but you know look i get it there wasn't time you know that's Wouldn't like a you whole... agree that also that scene in chambers was a little nerfed too like that judge would just right, would allow... after ha after having going through the whole back and forth should we should we allow this to come into evidence interesting the yeah. whole, it, it, but tv tv you know what i mean T, you know tv tv uh it's all easy for alan then there are no consequences yet um so uh you know all of that said you know and 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 putting it as its own thing without grading it on what they do with the storyline later i thought it was very compelling uh you know the the hiding the evidence thing we've done that before but this was a really good example of that the way he articulated the way he defended his obvious lack of knowledge his willful ignorance um and everybody because you have to do that you have to do that dance right the judge knows he's being willfully ignorant he knows that everybody knows it but they they have to sort of follow the, do the dance and that was great i like that so uh yeah, honestly, I think this was really one of the better episodes this season. I agree with you. It's going to get my highest rating of the season so far, and I'm going to give it 8.21 spare tires. Uh, so uh, there. There it is, folks. You have now just listened to another episode of the Out of Practice podcast. If you would like to reach out to us and contact us, you can do so by emailing outofpracticepodcast at gmail.com. While you're out there on the internet, leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or any other service of your choice. We would like to thank our subscribers right now, CloudLover69, CloudLover69, and Jorge Navoa, as well as all of our previous sponsors as we go along. You know, you don't have to keep doing it this way. You can hop over to our Patreon and get some of our bonus content uh, at patreon.com slash K&M and spelled out. You can also help us out by liking us on Instagram at Out of Practice Podcast or subscribing to our youtube channel where you'll get other awesome content like our episode by episode watch of deep space nine starting april 13th and in perpetuity until we're dead and Pretty also much. our look at my star trek toys which is also look at your star trek toys where keith and i relive being eight years old only this time with friends <laughs> folks speaking of friends we joke we tease we cajole we enjoy spending our time with you thanks for checking it out until next time laser sounds Laser sounds. <laughs>